Uh, I thought I'd frame up this message today with uh, a passage from what I've been reading in my, my own time with the Lord. I've been, I try to read the Bible through every year. So this year I'm reading through the chronological Bible. And then I'm also reading through the book of Luke, but super slow through the book of Luke, trying to just marinate in it and, and let it become part of, of who I am. In addition to, to studying for moments like this to teach to you, um, my, my heart is to never be a full-time pastor and a part-time Christian. Uh, I just want to, like you, be a follower of Jesus who's growing in his relationship with him. And, uh, and this week, I was reading in, in Luke chapter 13, verses uh, 23 through 27, a guy comes to Jesus and asks, hey, how many people are going to be saved? Like, are a whole lot of people going to be saved or like just a few? And Jesus' response is very interesting. He says, he said to him, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many it's interesting. Many, I tell you, will enter, will not, not be able to. Once the owner of the house closes the door, you'll stand outside and keep, keep knocking and, and pleading, sir, open the door for us. They'll answer, I, I, I don't know you or, or where you come from. Jesus says, says, make every effort. When it comes to knowing God, when it comes to pursuing him, when it comes to spiritual growth, make every effort because he highlights that there's coming a time when you'll no longer be able to. He, he says to them, the, the people respond. He's like, I, he's like, I don't know you. They, they said, we ate with you. We drank with you. You taught in our streets. Like we knew stuff about you, Jesus. We had proximity to you. But Jesus is like, I tell you, he'll reply, I don't, I don't know you or where you come from away from me, you evildoers. I, I'm just saying it's possible to know stuff about God, but not know God. Uh, the hinge of heaven seems to swing open and close based on not what you know about Jesus, but your, your relationship with him. Uh, one thing Michael said one time that I, was super catchy and, and challenging to me, he said, do you know Jesus like you know your mama or do you know Jesus like you know Obama? Like we know Obama, like he was the president. We know like his, some of his, his history, some of his, his leadership. We know some of the things he did, but, but my mama, I know my mom. I don't have to ask if she wants coffee or tea. I know her preference. When it's Mother's Day, like I don't have to ask what her favorite food is. I, I know her. I know what her embrace feels like. And, and Jesus, he invites us into this relationship, not into religion with him, but relationship with him. And so we've been, been studying through this book of Philippians these past two weeks. How do we grow spiritually? Like how do we grow in our relationship with Jesus? Not just to know more stuff about him, but to experience him, to encounter him on a regular, regular basis. And so uh, this is really part two of a continued message from, from last week. Like I mentioned at the beginning of 2022, if this year is your best year spiritually, this will be your best year. Because your spiritual life impacts every other area of your life. When you're growing spiritually, you're healthier emotionally, you're healthier relationally, you're healthier physically, you're, you're better vocationally whenever you're growing spiritually. So it literally impacts every aspect of your life. If you have your notes, um, I hope you do and can follow along with us. Uh, we're going to be studying Philippians chapter 3, uh, verse 17 through 21. But... But we started last week in verse 12 of chapter 3, and, and we looked at four keys to spiritual growth last week. We're going to look at three additional keys to spiritual growth this week. But the first key to spiritual growth that Paul gave us last week is to grow spiritually. We have to own our shortcomings. Like, we have to acknowledge, like, none of us have arrived. 
Paul, this man who followed Jesus for 30 years as he's pinning this, this letter to the Philippians, this Paul, this man who he said he was caught up to the third heavens, like, like he saw things that, that no eye has seen, no mind can conceive. He's like, I can't articulate what I saw. Like Paul, this man who saw people literally dead and then raised back to life. Paul, this man who saw the blind healed. He saw sick people like made well, but like the power of God flowed through Paul. But Paul would start by saying this, I haven't arrived yet. I don't know that all there is to know about Jesus. I just want to know him more. Like my chief aim in life, I just want to know him. It highlights for you and for me, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey today, there's more. No matter what kind of encounters you've had in the presence of God, he has more for you. Paul has said, hey, man, I haven't arrived, I haven't obtained it all, or I haven't already been made perfect. He owned his own shortcomings. He said, brothers, I don't consider myself yet to take hold of it. Spiritual growth begins whenever we realize we haven't seen it all, we don't know it all, we haven't experienced it all. We, when we understand we haven't arrived, but we desire to change. That's where spiritual growth begins. Paul says we have to own our own shortcomings. Second thing he taught us last week is to grow spiritually. We must press into Christ. He he said this. He said, "I, I, I haven't attained it all, but here's what I do. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I press on towards the goal. Like my chief aim, my, my main purpose in life is just to know Jesus and become more like him. He says, I press on. We talked about that word last week. It's an interesting word. It means to, to energetically, to, to actively, to, to intensely pursue something, to pursue an objective. It has this idea of like a spiritual veracity. And Paul's saying, my, man, I'm press, there's no such thing as passive spiritual growth. So I'm pressing into Christ. And if we're going to grow spiritually, we have to, we have to do the same. That second thing, that, or third thing that Paul says, we have to forget the past. We praise God for the past victories. We, we celebrate those, but we don't live in those. Paul, after planting all the churches that he had planted, Paul had written all the books of the Bible that, that he had written, written wrote one third of the Bible, your New Testament. At the point he wrote Philippians, he had already written all of them except for Timothy and Titus. But he, didn't, he wasn't content there. He said, no, I'm continuing to, I'm forgetting those wins because God has more for me. And he also forgot some of his failures. Paul, Paul didn't live a perfect life. He too was an imperfect person in progress with us. Uh, but but he, he forgot those things so he could take hold of what was ahead of him. Fourth thing we talked about last week is to grow spiritually. We have to stop comparing ourselves with others. We talked about how you're not responsible for anyone else's spiritual growth. You're responsible for yours. Sometimes we can get so consumed with others that we love, people that we care about, their lack of spiritual growth, that it hinders our spiritual growth. And we remembered last week that, that hey, we, we, yes, we tell people the truth. Uh, yes, we model with our lifestyle the truth of the gospel. Yes, we pray for people. But then we do what Paul did. He leaves them in God's hands. And, and sometimes we have to repeat that cycle over and over and over so it doesn't hinder our spiritual growth. Paul would say this. He says, he says and if at some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Like what's God showed you? You live that out. Don't worry about what, what, he, what he's told Richard. Don't worry about what he's told Becky. Don't worry about what he's told Michelle. Don't worry about what he's told Mrs. V. Like, like I got to live up to what he's showed me. And you have to live up to what he's he showed you. Stop comparing ourselves with others. And then today we land in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 through 21. And so let's, let's stand as we read what we're going to study today in honor of God's word. 
Um, if you have a program, the, the, the text is in here. You can read it there. We'll also have it on the screens. Uh, I would like to invite you, whenever we get to the red letter words, would you please read it out loud? Uh, very bold, very proud as we do this together. Here's what it says. It says, join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as often told you before, and now I say again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their minds are on earthly things. But... Our That's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, give somebody a high five. You can have a seat. This is the word of the Lord for us today. I know we got off there, but I want you to know that makes me feel a little better. Uh, whenever we clap as a church, I have a hard time clapping on beat. So just that made me feel like I'm amongst good company. This is good. This is a safe place. Uh, the first principle that Paul gives us, number five, if you're taking notes and filling in the blanks, this is where they begin. To grow spiritually, we need godly examples. If we're going to grow spiritually, we need godly examples among us. Here's what Paul would write in Philippians 3.17. He says, join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Paul isn't putting himself on a pedestal here. He's not saying I'm a perfect person. In fact, he's already said the opposite of that. He said, I, I haven't arrived yet. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 7, he said to keep me be from becoming conceited. Like in other words, maybe this was something Paul struggled with because of the intense revelation that God has given him, because of God using him in, in very supernatural ways to keep him from becoming conceited. Uh, God like, allowed this, this something to torment him, a thorn in the flesh. Uh, so Paul is not a perfect person. First Timothy 1.15, Paul would write this. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. This is written in present tense. He's not saying I was this. He's saying based on my own firsthand experience, I truly am the, the chief of sinners, the worst sinner I, I know. So he's, he's not saying I'm perfect, follow my example because I'm basically like Jesus. He, he's not saying that. And I think that's important for us to note when we think about godly examples to follow. Because everyone you know that's truly on this journey with Jesus, really trying to love God and love people, they are imperfect people. And, and so we can naturally default to some of their shortcomings. But Paul's saying the things that are good in me, imitate those. The things that you see that, that are reflective of God and of God's character, imitate, imitate those things. Philippians 3.17, he says, join in others in following my example. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he, says, he says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Interesting word here at the root of both of these words is, is mimitos in the Greek. We get our English word mimic from it. So Paul's literally saying, mimic me as I mimic Jesus. Can I just ask, how are you doing in that area? Would you be willing to say to your kids, hey, in your relationship with Jesus, mimic my lifestyle, because if you do, you'll be very close to him. Would you be willing to say to your grandkids, hey, follow Jesus like grandpa follows Jesus? Would you be willing to say to your daughter's future husband, hey, son, follow me 
as I follow Christ because you'll be a better man for my daughter. That's what Paul's saying here. He's like, mimic me. And I think it sets this high standard for us to, to strive for. Let's be, let's be people that are so pursuing Jesus that, that our spiritual growth is such a priority. It's our number one squad goal. It's the number one goal in our mind that we can say to people around us, hey, as I'm mimicking Jesus, you can mimic me. I'm not perfect, but follow my example. First Corinthians, or sorry, Philippians 3.17, he says, again, join in others and follow my examples, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern, pattern I gave you. In other words, find some people that are further along in their journey than you are. Do, do life with fellow believers, like, like, like lock arms with people who are, who are on this journey, people who really love God. Find some people that are further along. Find some people that are more godly than you are and learn from them. Find some people who are no, more knowledgeable about the word of God and, and ask, how do they study the word? Like find some people who are more generous, and get, ask them questions about their generosity. Ask, find some people that love people better than you, that are more compassionate than you, and learn, learn from them. Find some people that have found freedom in what currently trips you up and learn how you can walk in freedom too. We all need a variety of examples for us to follow. Here at Central, that's one thing we love about groups is it puts us in proximity with other people who, who are not perfect people, but people who are just trying to be like, I just wanna grow in Jesus. I just wanna know him more. And we get to experience life with them. That's the beautiful thing about serve teams here. People who are striving towards the same goals. And we can identify some things that, that they, they've experienced that we can learn from, we can glean from. And that's the beautiful thing about, about the local church. I would say this too. Don't discount the value of being mentored by people from a distance. As Paul's writing this, he says, he says join others in following my example Paul's currently in Rome. He's currently in prison. He's currently hundreds of miles away from them. Some people that you know, you may never meet, but they can have a tremendous impact on your life through their teaching, through their books, through their podcast. Let's find people who are currently growing in areas where we're lacking and find ways, find ways to learn from them. First thing, if we're uh, really the fifth thing, but for today, it's the, the first thing. We gotta find some, some godly examples that we too can follow. And the next, Paul tells us this, to grow spiritually, we have to avoid spiritual imposters. Spiritual imposters. We don't talk a whole lot about this one in the church, but Paul certainly didn't shy away from it. Jesus didn't shy away from it. We see it throughout the, the New Testament. Um, and here's why it's important for you to have godly examples to follow, because there's going to be some imposters that try to lead you astray. It's important to do life in proximity with people because they can call some things out in you. They can see when you start to drift in life versus if you're doing life all alone, you can drift and no one will even know. But there are spiritual imposters that want to do harm. Here's what Paul said, chapter three, verse 18. He says, for I've often told you before, and now I say again, even with tears, many, again, not just a couple, many live as enemies of the cross. They may look like Christians, but they don't live like Christians. They live as enemies of the cross. They may look like pastors. They may talk like pastors but their lifestyle reflects that they live as enemies of the cross. In Acts chapter 20, uh, Paul is, is he, he's leaving to go to Jerusalem. He's with this church in Ephesus. He spent several years there. They're on the beach. Like Paul is literally about to board the ship and, and they're, they're trying to tear themselves away from each other because Paul's told them like, I'll probably never see you face to face again. So these are like Paul's final words to the, the leadership, to the friends that he had in this, this local church in Ephesus. 
And here's what he said. He said in 28, verse 28, uh, so guard yourselves and God's people. Know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up to distort the truth in order to draw a following. Even people from within your own group. Uh, one thing that's true of imposters is that they undermine faithfulness. They undermine commitment. They undermine spiritual growth. They'll, they'll undermine your zeal for God. They'll say, hey, you don't, you don't have to be a fanatic about that. Let's just dial it, dial it back a little bit. Paul said, be very mindful. Be very careful around people like that. Jesus would say this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. He says, beware of false prophets. Uh, literally, it could literally be translated, keep your mind back from them. Like, don't, don't let your mind be absorbed with their with their teaching. Beware of false prophets who, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but outwardly are vicious wolves. How can you identify a wolf in sheep's clothing? The very next verse, uh, Jesus said this, you, you'll know them by their fruit. Like you observe their lifestyle. You'll, 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 they can say the right thing, but are they living in accordance with, with what, they're, what they're teaching? They look good on the outside, but their motives are selfish. They talk a good game, but they don't want what's best for you or the best that God has for you. They, they want something from you. By their fruit, you'll recognize them. Paul would say this. He would say the same. Basically, by their fruit, you'll recognize them. Verse 19, he says their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. How do you spot a wolf in sheep clothing? How, how do you spot a, a spiritual imposter? He says their God is their stomach. Like in other words, like they, they only care about what feels good in the moment. They're always responding to, to what they want, when they want it, and how they want it. Their, their priority is not centered around God and what God wants for their, their life. Their life is based on self-satisfaction, uh, on how they can find personal fulfillment. He says this, their glory, their glory is the shame. In other words, you, you hear what they talk about. And they're always talking about things that are contrary to what honors God. They boast about things that they shouldn't be doing or probably shouldn't be talking about, but their, their glory is in their, their shame. They glory on temporary things. They, they talk about what they've done, not what Christ has done. Um, their mind isn't on eternal things. It says their mind is on earthly things, actually. In other words, they love the world. They, they love what, the things that come from this world. Their, their mind is focused on things that won't matter a thousand years from now. And Paul is simply reminding us, that not everyone who calls themselves a Christian, not everyone who is even here among us in our gathering has your best interest in mind. And you have to be very careful and guard your heart. Surround yourself with like-minded, godly people so they can, can point out, they can help you along your journey with Jesus. He's telling the Philippians, guard your heart. People have self-serving motives, not always the things that honor God. The final one here is to grow spiritually. We need to remind ourselves of eternity. Last one, we got to remind ourselves of eternity. Now, I love this principle. Matter of fact, if you don't do any of the seven that we've talked about, but you just focus your attention on this, this final one, it'll not only impact your life for eternity, I believe it will help you prioritize your life today. Uh, John Bunyan, he wrote a book called Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, John Bunyan was an old school preacher uh, he was actually began to write Pilgrim's Progress while he was in jail uh, for sharing his, his faith. 
Pilgrim's Progress has sold over 250 million copies in multiple different languages, and it's gone around the world. Pilgrim's Progress is an allegory of the Christian journey. The main character in the book is a man by the name of Christian, and his ultimate goal of the book, his ultimate goal is to go on this journey to heaven. And so very much an allegory, but it, it characterizes your journey as a follower of Jesus. It characterizes my journey as a Christian. And one of Christian's friends asked him this question. He says, when do you find yourself in your strongest, most vigorous condition? To which Christian replied, when I think about the place to where I'm going. When you and I, we set our minds on the realities of heaven, when you and I lift our head up from temporary things to focus on things that are eternal, it strengthens us spiritually. It builds our soul. It frames up what's really important right here and right now. Philippians 3, verse 20, Paul says this, but our citizenship is in heaven. Listen, your address is not San Jose. Your permanent residency is in heaven. Paul reminds us that this world is very temporary. Our troubles here in life are fleeting, but your citizenship, what matters is eternity and your citizenship is, it's in heaven. Jesus is our king. He's the ultimate authority. And one day we're going to see him face to face. But until that day, we fix our thoughts on him. We think about the realities of heaven. We long to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. Now, now come enjoy your master's happiness. I'll entrust you with true riches. Philippians 3, 21 but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await our savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him will bring everything under his control. He will transform. You might circle that word transform in your Bible or in your notes. He'll transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious, his glorious body, the power that enables him, the power that enable him to speak and create all things that you and I now know in existence, the power that now enables him to sustain everything in creation, the power that enables him to do all those things will give him the power to transform your lowly bodies, these lowly bodies of ours. Like they'll be like his, his glorious body. We're going to be, be transformed. You might turn to your neighbor and say, you're in luck. Like, you still hope for you here. There's going to be, we're going to be transformed. No, we're all going to be transformed. First Thessalonians 4.16 says this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a, a loud command, with the, the voice of an archangel and the trumpet call of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and who are left will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we will be with the Lord forever. That's awesome. Like, I don't know what your week's been, but that's what your future's going to be like. Right? And so, so people that we love, that we've lost, people who have died before us. He says if they, they died in the Lord, like, there's going to be a moment where their bodies are literally going to be caught up in in the air with the Lord, like they're going to experience the resurrection first. And so when we meet them, it's going to be this great reunion. If they've died in the Lord, it's not goodbye. It's, hey, I'm going to see you later. And it's going to be an awesome moment. Your king will be present with them. You're going to be reunited with them, never to be torn apart again. We'll be with the Lord forever. First Corinthians 15, 51 says this, but, but let me to re reveal to you a wonderful secret. 
Paul's like, you might not remember this. You might not know this. Let me tell you something that maybe your, your mind wasn't fixed on this past week. He's like, let me reveal a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we'll all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the bleak of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. When, when the trumpet sounds, those who are dead will be raised to live forever. And we who are still living will also be transformed. Can you imagine this? Have you thought about this lately? It, it could happen in a moment. And everything that kept me awake last night will be very insignificant. I'm going to be transformed. You're going to be transformed. First Thessalonians 5 verse 1 says, now brothers, you say, well, hey, when's this going to happen? Like that sounds wonderful, but like we got this Ukrainian thing going on. I got this thing at work. Like I got, got th when's this going to happen? Like, can it happen today? That would be awesome. When's it going to happen? He says, now, now brothers and sisters about times and dates, we don't need to write to you for, you know, very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night when people are saved, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. He's saying, Hey, listen, as you're going about routine things of life, as you're taking the kids to school and you're going to ball practice and you're going to work and you're thinking about the future, hey, it's going to happen in a, when you least expect it. In a moment, it's going to happen. That's why we prioritize today knowing Jesus. So we can be ready for that moment when it comes. That's why we make our number one purpose like Paul to say, I just press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And as we live from that posture of life, we don't fear the future. We say, oh, Jesus, come. We long to see you. I can't wait to be with you. Can't wait to be reunited with people I love, but more than that, I just wanna, I just wanna know you face to face. Make every effort to know God personally. Let that be our number one goal. Back to Philippians chapter three, verse 21. He says, says, who by the power that enables him will bring everything under his control. He will transform our lowly bodies, they'll be like his glorious body. You're going to get a body that reflects the glory of the Lord to a dimension that we can't even understand right now. Your body is going to be transformed. That This word that's been used over and over in these verses that we've looked at is a very, very interesting word. We get our English word schematic from that Greek word. A schematic is simply an internal design of something. So what Paul's saying is there's coming a day when God's going to transform. He's going to re-engineer He's going to recreate your, your, your current lowly bodies that we currently have, and they will be reflective of his glorious body. In other words, you're going to get a body that, that will never wear out, a body that is perfect, not prone to aches and pains, a body that is cancer-free. You're going to get a body that is fully healed, fully restored, fully functioning perfectly. And you're going to get a body that, that can endure and withstand and enjoy the presence of God forever. You're going to be transformed. It's going to reflect God's glory in a beautiful and profound way. Now, I know life's tough. Oh, man, I know just from looking around the room and I know some of your stories. And I know some of you are really going through it. And, and, and Paul doesn't undermine that. Focus on eternity doesn't remove the pain that, that some of you are currently feeling. Uh, focusing on eternity doesn't, is, isn't a quick fix. I don't think Paul would, would say that it is. Uh, Paul would say this, 2 Corinthians 4.8, he says, he says we're, we're hard pressed on every side. 
but like it's not easy. We're, 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 we're perplexed, but, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're, we're not destroyed. He's saying like, things are tough. He doesn't, he doesn't ignore those realities. But he goes on to say this in verse 16. He says, says but, but we don't lose heart. Though outwardly, our bodies are wasting away. Yet inwardly, because we make it our chief aim, because our goal is just spiritual growth, we just want to know you more. God, we're experiencing renewal every day. He says this, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. He says our, our troubles, the troubles you face right now are light and momentary. And you might be like, well, bro, Paul, you don't, <laughs> you don't know my troubles because they're not light. They feel super heavy. Uh, what, what I'm going through doesn't feel temporary. It feels like, man, this could be the end. Listen, Paul, Paul's just saying, let's have an elevated perspective here. James would write this, your life is a vapor. It's a mist. Like you're, when you think about eternity, we think about forever and ever and ever. I think whenever we get to heaven a million years in, we're still going to be in awe of the radical grace of God. This thing we call salvation, I don't think we even begin to scratch the surface on understanding the magnitude of it. And Paul's just saying, in light of that, in light of, of your future, in light of all of eternity, man, our, 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 our troubles are light. They, they are momentary. Because here's what's true. If your life's a vapor, your problems are even less. If your life is a mist, what you're currently going through is even shorter. Here's what you need to know. If you're a follower of Jesus today, if you're a citizen of heaven, this world is as bad as it gets. What you're currently experiencing is the greatest degree of pain you'll ever endure. But you also need to know if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, this world is as good as it gets. It only gets, it only gets worse. So Paul, in the midst of being perplexed, Paul, in the midst of being hard-pressed, Paul, in the midst of feeling like I'm being beat up like a pound of clay, he says, here's what I do, though. I, what seems temporary, he says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. He's saying, when I remember where I'm headed, Whenever I remember what my future is, when I remember heaven, when I think about the things of eternity, I find strength there. I find growth there. I remember that this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I remember that God still has good things for me that eyes haven't seen, ears haven't heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. So can I ask, where have your eyes been fixed? Have you been thinking about seen things? Or has your mind been focused on unseen things? I think God in his sovereignty and his grace just comes alongside us in a very pivotal time in our society, in our world. Just say, hey, lift up your heads. I'm still on the throne. I still got it under control. Your future's still secure. This is not the end. When we remember where we're headed, we stay strong. We remember that our, our reward is, is not here. Like, yes, God blesses his people. Yes, he rewards faithfulness. 
Does he still strengthen the eyes of the, the hearts of those who are fully committed to him? Yes, absolutely. But your greatest rewards are not in this life. Jesus said this, he said, Matthew 19, 29, he said, he said, anyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or fields for my sake, if you made sacrifice for me, he's saying you'll receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. You'll be able to enjoy it forever. So not only is your king coming, but your reward is coming with him as well. God loves you more than you can imagine. His future for you is too great for you to conceive. We can't comprehend what he has, but when we meditate on those realities, it strengthens us in our present situations. I want to close with a question. I close with this. Have you begun walking with Jesus? Like, do you know him? Not do you know stuff about him, not could you pass a pop quiz, but do you know, do you know him like you know your mama? It was in 1824, a man by the name of Charles Baldwin was born in France. Charles, he, he started acrobat school at the age of five. When Charles was, was 31 years old, his family moved. They migrated from France to New York City. It was there just outside of New York City that, that, that Charles took to the tightrope. Like he was very gifted as a tightrope walker. And so for a living, he decided, hey, I'm going to string a tightrope from one side of Niagara Falls to, to the other side. And I'm going to walk across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. No safety harness, no net to catch him. People poured in from miles and miles to watch Charles, what many believe to be plummet to his certain death. But Charles walked across that tightrope successfully. Only challenge is that people are not easily entertained. And so they say, well, he did it once, but I don't know if he can do it again. So Charles had to keep up in the ante. And so Charles would then walk across the tightrope, pushing a wheelbarrow. Crowds came from, from miles. Hundreds of thousands of people came to watch him. One of his acts, uh, Charles went across Niagara Falls on a tightrope, sat down and ate an omelet just to impress the crowd and then completed the, the tightrope act. Charles at one time walked across that tightrope on stilts. Charles made an announcement. He said, I need everyone to come out because this is sure to be my greatest feat. You're not going to believe what I'm about to attempt. People poured in for miles to see Charles. What could he do? I mean, what's greater than stilts? What's greater than eating an omelet in the middle of the Niagara Falls? Like, this is crazy. What could it be? Charles made the announcement of his greatest act with a question. Do you think I can walk across Niagara Falls? The crowd roars, yeah, you can do it. Do you think I can walk across Niagara Falls with somebody on my back? Yeah, do it. You can do it, Charles, you're the man. I need a volunteer. <laughs> Crickets, hands dropped in lightning speed. People were willing to put their belief in Charles, but they were not ready to put their belief on Charles. My concern as your pastor is some of you have belief in Jesus. I'm inviting you to climb on his shoulders and put your life on him. Not just to know stuff about him, but to say, God, here I am all my life. My hopes, my dreams, my failures, my shortcomings, my hopes, my desires, my wealth, my talents. I'm gonna climb on your back. You carry me. 
And you'll be amazed the chasms that he helps you cross. The first chasm is your separation from God because our sin has separated us from him. The only way you bridge that gap and come into a relationship with the creator of the universe who loves you more than I can describe is it begins by climbing on his back. Let him walk you across what seems to be an impossible chasm. Let him build that bridge. Here's the good news. You don't have to clean up your act first. You don't have to say, well, oh, man, I, I carry too much weight with me. I got too many. I can't put my suitcases on his back too. No, he's saying, come with your suitcases. Romans, uh, he says this, uh, Paul writes, he says, 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 while we were still enemies with God, Christ died for you. Listen, he pursued you long before you ever thought about acknowledging him. And you need to know he's been pursuing you to bring you to this point. His invitation is not a religion. His invitation is a real relationship with him. And that begins by not just placing your belief in him, but laying your life on him and letting him carry you. If that's where you are today. You say, hey man, I've been, I know some stuff about him, but I know like stuff about Jesus like I know about Obama, but I don't know Jesus like I know my mama. I'm not that tight, but I wanna be. That can all begin today. It begins by you reaching out to him. The Bible says this, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but you gotta call, you gotta reach out. It begins by, by talking to him, we call it prayer. But it's just you being very honest with God where you are and saying, God, here's my life. I give it to you. If you want to begin that journey, be my joy to lead you there. So with every head bowed, every eyes closed, let's pray. If you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, would you just talk to him? Say something like this to him. Say, say, God, I realize I've made some mistakes in my life. Not only have I violated your standards, I haven't kept my own standards. And God, I realize is that sin creates this chasm that feels like the Niagara Falls currently. But today, God, I'm not just believing in Jesus. I'm placing my life on him. So God, today I surrender my life to you. All my hopes are yours. My future is yours. My time, my talents, my resources. God, I give it to you. Use me as you see fit. Every head bowed, every eye closed as you continue in a posture of prayer. If that was your prayer, you want to embark on that real journey with Jesus, man, it'd be my joy to pray for you before we get out of here. And uh, so I, if you would, just have the courage, just slip up your hands, let me know who I'm praying for. Thanks, man. Yep, thanks, thanks, yep, thanks. Thanks, yeah. Well, God, you see your kids reaching out to you. God, we're not just here for intellectual assent. God, we're here to say our lives are yours, God. Take all that we are. Use us for your purposes, God. Now, God, for everyone reaching out to you, I pray, God, supernaturally, they would feel you lifting the weight of their sin off their shoulders. That, God, as they climb onto your back, may they sense you forgiving their sins. May since you, God, freeing them from condemnation of the past, shame for the past, God, they step into forgiveness. May they know right now before you, God, they have right standing, not because of anything they've done, but because of everything that Jesus has done. So God, I pray you'd strengthen them. I pray, God, we'd be a church family that surrounds them 
and sets godly examples for them to follow. God, would you help us to be those people to help more and more people know you? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That's awesome. Man, I, I just want you to know I'm super pumped for you and this journey you're embarking on. And I got your back. We've got a whole lot of people here that have your back too and want to help you however we can. Um, one of the best ways for us to come alongside you is just to hear from you. Uh, you can text, text us at 408-944-5402 or you can fill out that connect card in the seat back in front of you. Uh, we're just going to follow up with you. We're not going to hound you. But we do want to be a resource to you to the degree that you're willing for us to be. It'd be our joy to do that. But uh, man, a whole lot of people here in this room said, man, I'm not just, I'm not just gonna know stuff about Jesus. I'm gonna I'm climb on his back. I'm gonna let him lead. And I think heaven is throwing a tremendous celebration for you and no one celebrates like the central family. So let's give it up for him one more time.